Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personalized recommendations or fiduciary advice. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for any investment, accounting, legal, and tax advice or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Brent Foster and your weekly Market Insights and Northbound Wealth podcast. This is the 43rd week. Let's review last week. Markets moved in sync last week with perceived movement in debt ceiling talks, weakening early in the week, and then surging on news of progress. A solid quarterly report and guidance from a mega cap tech company led and helped with enthusiasm. Overall, the markets were mixed. The Dow was down 1%, while the S&P 500 gained 0.32%. The NASDAQ Composite Index led picking up 2.51% for the week, and the MSCI EFA Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, sank 2.92%. So what does that mean for the Dow? The Dow closed at 33093 Year-to-date, that's flat, basically down 0.16%. The NASDAQ closed at 12 1,975. That's up 23.97%. The MSCI EFA index closed at 2,069. That's up 6.45% for the year. MSCI EFA index or the S&P 500 closed at 4,205. That's up 9.53% for the year. The 10-year treasury note closed at 3.80% for the week. That's up about 10 basis points. For the year, it's about flat which is 0.08% for the year. Um, Debt talks dominate. So stocks were weighed down for much of the week by stumbling debt negotiations, which appeared to reach an impasse at one point. Technology stocks, which have led markets this year, were under pressure as traders began to anticipate the possibility of rate hikes in June and July. Sentiment turned more optimistic after the release of an above consensus earnings report and strong guidance from the mega cap chip giant. The momentum continued into Friday as stocks surge on hopes of a debt ceiling agreement undeterred by an inflation read that may induce the Fed to raise interest rates further. So the Fed is divided. Basically, the minutes of the FOMC May meeting reflected division among committee members over whether further rate increases were necessary, with more than half suggesting that they were ready to pause. Um, Those members supporting additional rate hikes said inflation was moving too slowly towards the Fed's 2% inflation target rate. The minutes also reaffirmed the Fed's expectation of a recession beginning around the fourth quarter this year. In comments last Wednesday, Fed Governor Christopher Waller manifested this division, saying that it was a a toss-up as to whether rates should be raised, suggesting that he could support a rate hike in June or wait on voting for an increase in July's meeting. This week, key economic data that we're tracking here at Northbound Wealth, consumer confidence on Tuesday, Wednesday, job openings and labor turnover, which is called the JOLTS report. Thursday, automated data processing or ADP employment report, jobless claims, Institute of Supply Management or ISM Manufacturing Index. Friday, the employment situation update, which will take a pulse on that. So tracking that data for you, uh, it's interesting. We've got a fairly 
uh, underneath the surface. It's like a bifurcated market and economy. This week, comp notable companies reporting earnings. On Tuesday, we've got Hewlett Packard. Wednesday, Salesforce and CrowdStrike. Thursday, Lululemon, Broadcom, uh, Dollar General, Dell Technologies. And uh, here we go on to the tax tip. So be on the alert for IRS scams. Uh, the IRS is on a constant lookout for tax-related scams. In most cases, phishing scams are bo bogus phone calls and emails that claim to come from the IRS. Remember, the IRS will never call you without mailing an official notice first, demand that you immediately pay your taxes over the phone, take a debit or credit card over the phone, threaten to call law enforcement or immigration services to arrest you for failure to pay. So remember that as uh, those attempts, phishing attempts are are uh, really ramping up uh, in this digital age that we're in. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you uh, meet with your qualified tax professional on any specific tax issues that you may have. And this tip was adapted from irs.gov. And here we go on to the next segment. I came across this article in the Daily Upside and I just want to thank Griffin Kelly um, for writing this one about Warren Buffett. And it, this one was actually published on May 8th. That's just, uh, even though I, I read this every day, I just want to go back and, and talk about this, uh, uh, this next segment with Warren Buffett and uh, Griffin goes uh, on and he writes a little bit about Warren Buffett and the last, well, I guess, annual shareholders meeting that Warren Buffett attends along with Charlie Munger. Um, and, you know, we can all learn quite a bit from the Oracle of Omaha and from all the CEOs that work for him and the analysts that follow him and the, the broader public that does, frankly. Um, it's just interesting uh, in this day and age to be listening to these guys that are in their late 80s and 90s uh, commenting on uh, markets and investments, and they happen to be quite wealthy as well. So um, I guess it's worth a listen. Um uh, but also uh, taken with a grain of salt because uh, after all, we they're not gods. Uh, it takes quite a bit to put Warren Buffett in a bad mood, everything from lackluster market to tense international relations to the potential robot uprising was, uh, was on the agenda for uh, Warren Buffett and his right-hand man, Charlie Munger, at the annual Brookshire Hathaway shareholders meeting this past weekend. That was earlier this month, obviously. Uh, uh, and nothing... A cherry Coke and a game of bridge can't fix though, right? Um, for those of you, that's an inside joke. That's what he likes to do and Charlie likes to do. So all is well-ish. Firstly, don't worry about Buffett. Brookshire uh, is still worth a flush $700 billion after posting a $35.5 billion profit in the first quarter but it's getting a little bit harder for Buffett and company to decide exactly where to put their billions to work in a market that has grown less and less appealing. In uh, the first quarter of 2021, the conglomerate sold 13.3 billion worth of shares and invested just 2.9 billion. Another 4.4 billion went towards buybacks. Last month, Munger told the Financial Times that investors should have low expectation for stock market returns as the Federal Reserve raises interest rates and the economy slows. Buffett is still confident Brookshire will navigate any lengthy economic slowdown or recession just fine, but he does expect declining earnings at some point of its portfolio of companies this year. 
he said, quote, it isn't that employment has fallen off a cliff or anything, but it is different, a different climate than it was six months ago, he said, end quote. And end quote, a number of our managers were surprised. Some had too much inventory in, on order, end quote. Though hardly doomsayers, Buffett and Munger had some choice words for the global economy during the meeting as well. So the first of note is the China United States trade war has intensified in the past year as nations decouple from one another while pumping hundreds of billions of dollars into funding green tech and semiconductor chip production. Munger had three simple words for the situation. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Buffett agreed and both uh, countries have to get along with each other basically is what they're saying. So the second bullet point says industry leaders boast that artificial intelligence can do, well, pretty much anything you tell it to. And that doesn't sit right with Buffett who compared the super fast tech to nuclear weapons. It was enormously important that we uh, built the atom bomb, he said, but it isn't good for the next 200 years of the world that the ability to do so has been unleashed. And so he's kind of like, making it a question. Christopher Nolan might just have his next project after Oppenheimer releases in July. So uh, they also took a bank shot. Like many Americans, Buffett is worried about the state of the banks, but he didn't uh, blame the banks themselves. He helped bail out Goldman Sachs and Bank of America during the Great Recession, and he invested in Wells Fargo throughout its scandals involving overcharging clients billions of dollars. Buffett is a big supporter of the banking industry, but believes politicians, regulators, and the media have created an environment of fear around the failures of Signature Bank, First Republic, and Silicon Valley Bank. And he said, quote, fear is contagious, he said, adding that you can't run an economy when people worry if their money is safe in banks. The only thing to fear, it seems, is the angst of uninsured depositors. So that's an interesting takeaway from Warren Buffett's. I thought I'd share with you guys if you hadn't seen that. Also, Brian Boyle of the Daily Upside writes about uh, this headline, SEC awards largest ever whistleblower payout. That must have been some tip. The SEC set a new record last week when it issued a nearly $279 million to a corporate whistleblower. It's a massive payout for a program that was nearly scuttled just a short time ago, and that research suggests has ethical issues of its own. For obvious reasons, the SEC closely guards the identities of tipsters. That means there is no knowledge uh, and no knowing who scored the big award or even which company and or corporations were embroiled in a scheme but here's what we do know. The scope of the uncovered fraud must have been fairly massive given the SEC grants whistleblower awards of 10% to 30% on collected fines for anything over a million dollars. The payout more than doubled the agency's standing record, a $114 million prize issued in October of 2020. It's the latest uptick and a now years-long trend of whistleblower payout inflation. While the program began in 2010, all of the 10 largest payouts to date have come since 2018, according to Zuckerman Law, which specializes in whistleblowing protection and law. In fiscal year 2021, the SEC awarded a record $564 million to 108 whistleblowers. 
Last August, the SEC overturned a series of rules put in place in 2020 that limited the amount whistleblowers could receive. Under those short-lived curbs, the SEC could limit the size of awards if tips led to actions by other agencies. Proponents of strong whistleblower laws say a return to large payouts can be a key to snuffing out corporate crime. This award will have a massive chilling effect on Wall Street frauds. Stephen M. Cohen, a whistleblower attorney unconnected to this case, told the Wall Street Journal. Blowing the whistleblower whistle. Still, Whistleblower Inc. is apparently a thing. A study published a year ago in the Yale Journal on regulation by the University of Kansas School of Law professor Alexander Platt found there may be something of a burgeoning whistleblower industrial complex. Tipsters represented by lawyers significantly outperform unrepresented ones. Repeat player lawyers outperform first-timers, and lawyers who used to work at the SEC outperform just about everybody, the study found. Sounds like somebody needs to blow a whistle. And this article was written by Brian Boyle of The Daily Upside. Good piece, and on to the next segment. So God Owns It All by Ronald Blue with Michael Blue. This is an excerpt from that book. I'm going to share two stories that I find fascinating. I feel like you guys would get something out of it. So here we go. Howard Hughes, remember him, was one of the wealthiest men to have lived in the past 200 years. He was an aviator, an investor, a filmmaker, a business tycoon, an engineer, a hotelier, and an entrepreneur. Yet he was one of the most eccentric, troubled people you could ever come across. Hughes was known as a pleasure-seeking playboy with an aversion to giving. He, as he grew older, he accumulated more and more wealth, amassing a fortune of over $2.5 billion, that is. Despite his substantial wealth, Hughes was known as stingy, self-centered, and selfish, allowing his fortune to create an artificial barrier between himself and all those who cared for him. Even as he suffered tremendously with mental health and physical health, he pushed away everybody in his life. Hughes became a recluse and was known to lock himself away in one place for months at a time. By the time of his death, he was practically unrecognizable. He died miserable, sad, and alone. His life was one of selfishness and greed. His wealth became a prison, condemning him to a lonely life and death. In sharp contrast to Hughes, George Muller lived a life marked by radical generosity. Although he began life with a purpose similar to Howard Hughes's, and was known for stealing, gambling debts, drunkenness, and lewd stories. However, Muller experienced a spiritual transformation and set out to serve God and bring him glory. Muller and his wife were deeply affected by the flight of orphans roaming the streets in their town of Bristol, England. They decided to begin an orphanage and determined that they would never ask for money. Whenever they had a need, they just brought it to God and watched him provide. During his life, Muller received over 1.5 million pounds in donations. He directed every pound to serving the orphans in his care. He and his wife cared for more than 10,000 orphans, sharing their lives and Christ with each of them. When Muller died, he had influenced countless souls and is remembered as one of the greatest men of faith in history. He never held on to what was given to him, but invested it in other people. And God always provided for him and the orphans. When any orphan became old enough to leave the orphanage, Muller placed a Bible in the orphan's right hand and a coin in the orphan's left hand. 
He prayed with the child and told him that if he clung tightly to what was in his right hand, God would always make sure he had something in his left hand. Both of these men have what many of us long for. Howard Hughes had great wealth and power. George Muller, great faith and impact. However, in these two contrasting stories, we see the destructive force of greed and the life-giving force of generosity. Only one of these men lived a life worth emulating, a life filled with joy and wonder. I recently heard a quotation by a Canadian man named Carrie Newwolf that fittingly sums up these two stories. There are no inspiring stories of accumulation, only inspiring stories of sacrifice. So as we hear these stories, think about this, respond to the previous quotation and think about um, what that means, accumulation of wealth, while at the same time, hoping our lives will inspire others. Giving breaks the power of money. Giving affirms God's ownership. As long as I hold on to a thing, I believe I own it. Once I let go of it, I've given up power and control. At this point, the power of that thing over my life is broken and I am free. So Jesus said it this way, no household slave can be the slave of two masters since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't be slaves to both God and money. Luke 16, 13. Think about that as you move through this week as to where you stand and how you may want to live. This is the Northbound Wealth Technical Analysis Spotlight. So, um, Previous messages have pointed out that the growing gap between rising tech stocks and the rest of the market, so that gap widened even further this week. So technology was once again the week's strongest sector thanks to surging chip stocks. The um, I'm looking at weekly bars of the SMH, which is the Vanek Vector Semiconductors, surging 10% this past week uh, to the highest level in more than a year. So Enter, uh, tech, uh, mega cap tech, and then the semis all rallied. But uh, chip stocks led higher by a 24% jump in NVIDIA to a record high, obviously. So a cautionary note is that the 14-week RSI, or the Relative Strength Index line for SMH, uh, in the, uh, is in overbought territory, over 70 for those who track technicals. So that's called an overbought territory. If the, if the RSI is uh, around 30 or below, that's oversold territory. So that would be a, a technical indicator to be buying. But at this point, it's a technical indicator to potentially take profits or to stay and hold. So, um, so yeah, uh, gains in the rest of the market were less impressive though. So let's take a look at the S&P 500 and it's definitely lagging behind tech and the semiconductor space. Um, which are chips. Um, so I'm looking at the weekly bars and the S&P 500. They're testing overhead resistance near 4,200 or 4,200 on the S&P. Um, a close above that level could signal like further gains to its August high. Um, it could actually press above that even to maybe around the 4,300 level, but there's a lot of strong resistance at, at four, between 42 and 4,300. Um, the moving averages remain in positive alignment. That's a good sign uh, for the market. But the SPX or the S&P 500 
um, shows a relatively minor gain for the week. It's not an impressive gain. It was basically flat and continues to be held back by a lack of upside participation by a lot of the other components. So for example, eight of its sectors ended the week in the red and in, in, in addition, only 35% of its component stocks are trading above their 50 day moving averages with about 42% above their 200 day lines. Uh, this means that the majority of the stocks are still in downtrends. Uh, the equal weighted index actually declined this past week, uh, which widened the gap uh, between it and the S&P 500 large cap index, which is a cap weighted index, market cap weighted index uh, compared to equal weighted index. And that does matter. Uh, that may not be enough to prevent further gains in the S&P 500 large cap index, especially if tech stocks keep rising because they're a larger percentage of the overall weight. But it does suggest that narrow participation could limit the size of further gains, meaning the amplitude of further gains to the upside. Um, so We'll see. We'll see. So um, there you go. The uh, uh, auto stocks are, are kind of pushing the consumer discretionary sector spider higher. Uh, Ford and Tesla have some sort of joint venture together. Um, so that kind of propelled that space. Um, and they're testing the 200-day moving average there. So I'm kind of looking at that because autos tend to be a leading indicator of which direction things are going. So do semis and chips. So if we get a rollover in either one of those two areas, that would indicate, you know, fall through by the larger, broader market weighted indexes, maybe even in the equal weight. But we'll see. Tracking uh, the, the fundamentals of the market, the technicals of the market, that's technical analysis spotlight for this week. Thank you for listening to the Northbound Wealth Management Weekly Market Insights with your host, Brent Foster, founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. Until next week, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.